This is the Cine Snob Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 255 of the Cine Snob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, uh, it was uh, an awards show weekend for mm-hmm. our, um, our the uh, Critics Society. We're a member of Houston Film Critics Society. Neither of us uh, were able to make it to the awards show. But our colleagues had the awards, uh, obviously, over in Houston on um, Saturday. And um, a little later this year than normal. I think it was at the beginning of the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year in February. Um, and, um, you know, we, of course, had a, had a hand in um, picking the, uh, the films that were nominated and the films that won. Mm-hmm. And the other and the individuals that won. Um, you want to go over what what. Uh, what was handed out and, and what you think of those awards? Yeah, let's do it. So let's start with um, uh, let's we'll start with the big stuff. Um, well, well, screenplay went to uh, Martin McDonough for the Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't um, I don't have the cat the uh, nominees in front of me. Uh, I should have done that. So um, let's look at this. Um, you fool. I know. I pulled up the winners and I didn't pull up the nominees. <laughs> uh, so the, the uh, so here, we go, here we go. The other nominees in that uh, category were Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Women Talking. Um, I thought The Fablemans might have squeaked that one out, um, just knowing the membership that we have in this uh, Houston Film Critics Society was very, very big on that movie. And we'll talk more about that movie later. Um, are you surprised by this one or, or you think it's pretty on on no, brand. I think that's pretty on brand. I mean, I've been I've been wondering myself recently if um, I, I think maybe this is less the case right now, but I kind of wondered if we were going to get like a three way split for the Oscars where it was like everything everywhere all at once for best picture, Banshees of Inisherin for screenplay, and then maybe Spielberg for director, um, mm-hmm. and have that be a nice split since all of since all those three front runners are all in original screenplay, they're in the same category. So, uh, but I don't know. I mean, who knows at this point? But I, I think this this is a fine when I think I, you know, I think I was a little bit lower and not to say that I didn't like it, but a little bit lower on Banshees than a lot of people. I would have maybe gone with everything everywhere all at once here, but you know, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, supporting actress, uh, Carrie Condon, the Banshees of Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, she was up against Jesse Buckley from women talking, Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue from everything everywhere all at once. And Janelle Monet from glass onion and knives out mystery. Um, I think, uh, Probably the everything everywhere all at once vote is split there. Yep. Um, which I assume it probably will be for the Oscars. But I still I think Carrie Condon's great. Um, and I have no problem with this win at all. Yeah, it's a fine win. I would have gone with Stephanie Sue if I would have been the one picking. But I mean I was, but you know. Well you did have if your I, vote. If, if I had if I was the only one picking. Okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, moving on, uh, best uh, supporting uh, actor, Kehi Kwan from uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, again, up against, uh, excuse me, up against uh, Brendan Gleeson from The Banshees of Inishirin, Barry Keoghan from The Banshees of Inishirin, Mark Rylance from Bones and All, and Ben Wishaw from Women Talking. Again, I probably uh, think The Banshees of Inishirin one was split. I do think Barry Keoghan's better than uh, Brendan Gleeson. I think he has more to do. Yeah. Um, I don't mind this win at all either. I think it's great. This is a great win. I, I, I that Mark Rylance performance. I've been. I don't understand Mark Rylance. I don't. I don't get it. Every time I feel like every time I've seen him, and to be fair, I have not seen his award-winning performance in Bridge of Spies, which apparently he's very good in. But like, oh yes, yeah, that movie is kind of boring except for him. Yeah, but like everything else I've ever seen him in, he, he is not my cup of tea. Uh, he is he yeah. was uh you remember when he was like he was steven spielberg's muse for like three movies in a row yeah that all that? Th- that all collapsed in ready player one where he played essentially uh garth from wayne's world <laughs> <laughs> well he was uh uh it was, yeah it was like garth combined with steve jobs yeah then simon Pegg played like the the steve wozniak slash other garth i don't remember yeah Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, best, uh, excuse me, uh, ac- best actress, uh, Kate Blanchett for Tar. Uh, she was up against, um, excuse me, she was up against uh, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Danielle Deadweiler for Till, Emma Thompson, good luck to you, Leo Grant, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I feel like this is a bit of a surprise 
for this group? A little um, bit. I, I actually really do like the nominees here in terms of, in terms of uh, I think it's a better group of nominees than what we got for like the Oscars, for example. Like, I, I really like that Daniel Deadweiler was in here, um, who I no. who might be my number one of, out of this category, actually. Uh, I can't remember the woman whose no- nomination is controversial. Um, oh, Anna de Armas? No, no, no. Well, besides her, the other one. Uh, the oh. one that, that they had the investigation on. Andrea uh, Riseborough, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, neither of those made it in. Um, I would have I would have gone with Michelle Yeoh, but that was that was my pick. Yeah. Anyway, uh, best actor uh, went to Colin Farrell, who was up against um, Austin Butler for Elvis, Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Um, the Inspection's movie I didn't actually see, so I don't have an opinion on that. Um, I guess uh, this is this is the one that I think is is going to be have the potential to be the biggest spoiler because this has been kind of Brendan Fraser's to walk away with for a lot of people. I haven't been following, I didn't follow the BAFTAs or anything, so I it don't know. It was Austin Butler at the BAFTAs. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I like uh, Colin Farrell in this quite a bit. I feel mm-hmm. like um, I like this win. I feel like Brendan Fraser is the, that's the only good thing about The Whale is Brendan Fraser. Um, yeah. Well, look, I mean, I... I am all for breaking the trend of of like acknowledging good performances in bad movies. I <laughs> like I really can't do another like Eddie Redmayne in the theory of everything and another, you know, Rami Malek in uh in <laughs> Rhapsody. Like we just can't keep doing this. I I didn't hate the theory of everything, but uh who did he beat that year? Uh Michael Keaton. That's right. That's for right. Birdman, Birdman, which is a fucking disgrace that that that, that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, I get he it. Just gives the best performance of his career, and it's like, yeah. Was that also it. the the Jupiter Ascending year? Yeah, yeah, it was. Look at that. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, best director went to the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, up against uh, Boz Lerman for Elvis. Uh, Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inisherin, uh, the Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Sarah Polly for Women Talking. Again, I'm a little surprised um, that Spielberg didn't didn't get this one. Like you said, I feel like the split might be in for the Oscars, um, but I do I do love this win. Yeah, me too. It's it's a great one for sure. And then Best Picture went to Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, up against uh, Elvis. Uh, the Fablemans, Banshees of Inisherin, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, RRR, Tar, Till, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. Um, again, I, I love this win too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, you know, as as my top ten is sh- shook out, I had th- everything everywhere all at once, third behind Banshees of Inisherin. I think they're kind of bubbling up together now for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm. Uh, a little uh, surprised. Uh, some of the, the nominees getting in there, like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I mean, I yeah. think that's just by virtue of having ten nominees, right? Um, but I assume you're you're fine with this win since it was your favorite movie last year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, here as long as it was either like Everything Everywhere, Fablemans, or maybe like Top Gun Maverick, I was fine with whatever came out of it. Um, you weren't going to be okay with RRR. I uh, I was not. I. <laughs> I I am not on team RRR. I think it was that movie was fine. Yeah, um speaking of RRR, it did win uh best foreign language feature um which was up against All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina 1985, Close and Decision to Leave. Um it all uh, RRR also won best original song mm-hmm. which was up against um uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Till and Top Gun Maverick. Again, one of those categories that like I don't really give a shit about because the songs are like played over the end credits. Yeah, um, I have a really hard time caring about a song in a movie unless it figures into the movie. For sure. Yeah, and uh, oh, and and there were a couple of uh, there's a couple of awards too to go over for like some of the the things that we that our organization does a little bit differently too, which is kind of cool. Right. Um, um, you want you want to pick that up, or you want me to go ahead? Oh yeah, so I was just gonna say um, the 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 big kind of highlight here is the Tifa Award uh, that we yeah. give out to um, 
you know the the movies that were made in texas um and uh in this one i i'm i don't have any in front of me but i believe it was apollo 10 and a half it was uh, yes space age childhood the richard linklater movie um which i thought was okay uh it's not my favorite linklater Mm -hmm. and i've been watching a lot of linklater lately um uh and then also um uh best stunt coordination team was a new one that we introduced a few years ago and I believe mm-hmm. that was also RRR, wasn't it? It was RRR. It was up against Bat- the Batman, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Top Gun Maverick, and The Woman King. Um, yeah, I mean, probably the only real serious competition that one had was, um, I mean, from a pure stunt level, The Woman King. I and mean, I mm-hmm. guess you could count Top Gun Maverick as stunts, but yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and then uh, Best Ensemble Cast, just to finish this out, Best Ensemble Cast, um, excuse me, went to... Um, uh, uh, women talking. Um, there's too many people to list here. Mm-hmm. Um, visual effects went to uh, Avatar. An original score went to Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and best documentary went to Goodnight Oppie. Uh, best animated feature, Pinocchio. Cinematography went to Top Gun Maverick. So yeah, yeah. it's always fun to take part in this. Um, it's uh, it's it's fun. It, one of the interesting things is to like. You know, I don't I don't know everybody well in the or in the organization, but there are some very, you know, some people that that I can see where the nominations bubble up from. Mm-hmm. Like not I don't want to say that there's groupthink, but there's, you know, in the discussions, there's there's people that like kind of like these these tides form for these certain films. I, I feel like RRR was one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, not that not to, you know, besmirch its merits or anything, but yeah. It is interesting. It's fun fun to be a part of it. Um, I wish I could have gone to the awards show, but it's a long drive. Yeah, I, we'll we'll be back someday. We we've the 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 times I've went have been really good, and and meeting everyone is always a nice thing to do, and hang out with those people that we rarely ever see, but communicate with on a on a semi regular basis with group meetings and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just a really cool thing to to be a part of every year. Yeah, and um, uh, be sure to check out. Um, HoustonFilmCritics.com for all this uh, all this information. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Houston Critics. So, uh, anything else before we move on, Cody? No, let's do it. We got a Marvel movie to cover. Let's do it. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. This week we have Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. You're an interesting man. Scott Lang. Um, I don't know who you are, but you've made a big mistake, okay? I'm an Avenger. I've called the other Avengers. You're an Avenger? Have I killed you before? (laughs) What? They all blur together after a while. You're not the one with the hammer. It's Thor. We get confused a lot. Similar body types. Who are you? Just a man who's lost a lot of time, like you. But we can help each other with that. This is movie number 31, I believe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The first uh, film in... Uh, what is called Phase Five? Phase Four kind of came and went with nothing really happening. Yeah. Uh, phase Four was after the uh, Avengers Endgame. It was um, the introduction of the television shows. I guess was right. the most significant thing about it, right? Yes, um, and I guess the multiverse really coming into being mm-hmm. a narrative concept. Um, this is uh, at, at that point the uh, third Ant Man movie. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot to say about this movie, so let's go ahead and get started. Cody, tell us about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and what you thought of it. Sure. So, you know, as you said, this is the start of phase five and, and I, phase four was not great for me. Um, you know, I, I, I did not really 
love a lot of the movies that, that that came during it. I think it was kind of starting to really introduce some some fringe characters that uh, that had like some difficulty getting off the ground. Um, in in like, you know, we we talk a lot. I mean, we, we have or we had. I don't I don't know if it's still active a Marvel podcast. And you know, it, it's uh, it's been interesting going back and watching those movies and I'll go and watch some old stuff every so often on Disney plus since it's all right there in really good quality. And, um, and it's, and it's kind of interesting to think about the, the idea that Marvel movies in general have been very well received, um, by critics and, and, um, and then prior to this weekend, there had only been one movie, uh, that had ever been, uh, rotten from yes. Rotten Tomatoes in the history of all 30, whatever movies. And, uh, and as it stands right now, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is tied for the lowest percentage with Eternals. They're both at 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, of course, everyone is like, don't listen to the critics on this one, but I guess listen to them on all of <laughs> um, so- I mean, it's, it's, it, this is the constant thing with this shit. Like, it's the constant comic book movie battle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll go into that more. Yeah, you'll, Sorry. you'll cover that. But yeah, so what we get is we get um, a, a movie where um, Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man's daughter ends up creating this kind of technology that allows communication with the quantum realm, and they, they all get kind of stuck in that quantum realm. And when they're down there, they meet uh, Kang the Conqueror, who you see in that clip played by Jonathan Majors, who's going to be like the big bad of the upcoming phase where he's going to um, be in multiple movies. He's been seen in the, uh, in the low key TV show. Um, and essentially uh, that's kind of it. They try to get out of the quantum realm <laughs> for a couple hours and, and King, we get a little bit of background on him and, uh, and, and it's just about trying to escape. Right. And so, you know, on a, on a narrative front, there's really not a whole lot going on here. And and once you kind of cut through um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the introduction stuff, it, it becomes very apparent that this is a movie that exists almost solely to introduce King the Conqueror as your villain for the next phase. Because if you, like, none of this has to happen in an Ant-Man movie. Like, like the, the idea that he's <laughs> in, the, in the quantum realm, like, this could have been its own series. This could have been you know, uh, uh, a mini series, this could have happened. And you could only see the stuff that happens between King and Michelle Pfeiffer in a flashback and, and Paul Red doesn't even have to be there. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, th- the whole thing takes place in the quantum realm. So it has this weird kind of like, feels disconnected from everything. It's it's all CGI, which I think works to varying degrees. Um, uh, everything's kind of like oddly glowing and stuff and purple and it, I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I it, it just kind of gets down to what I think has been Marvel's biggest problem for a while now, which is uh, a lot of these movies can't and don't exist as standalone things. They are a means of building towards the next thing. And I think this is maybe like the worst case of all of them where, again, you know, you have this, you have this movie where any time that it's not background on Kang, it's like a very simple like rescue mission movie. Nothing right. happening is really of consequence. As an Ant-Man story, all he's doing is like trying to find his daughter and get her out. Like that's literally all that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so for this to exist as like an Ant-Man movie and an Ant-Man story, it's just not satisfying at all. Um, there's there's no real narrative. I, I feel like it, it tries to hit some comedic tonal stuff where it does try to lean on that sort of uh, almost Guardians of the Galaxy type humor, you know, especially when we see care like like the there's some characters that that sort of feel like they're pulled from that universe and from that like kind of like comedic yeah. background where you get like a amorphous blob uh, alien guy. You get like even the one um, that was um, William Jackson Harper's character who like can read minds and stuff or whatever mm-hmm. feels like totally Guardians of the Galaxy ripping off. Um, and right. then of course you get uh, Modok. Um, in the movie, <laughs> which is, um, you know, a character, I, I guess we won't spoil what is actually going on there, but it's a, it's a, a thing that looks intentionally shitty, but even though it's intentionally and by design, it looks extra terrible. I, even see, so. I'm, I'm going to say that it looks shitty on its own. 
Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't look shitty. Like it looks shitty. Like it's not rendered right. Mm-hmm. Like it. I mean, the the effect is if you know Modok, there, there has been a TV series, mm-hmm. um, an animated series starring Pat Oswalt. Um, it's unrelated to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I mean, the idea is he's a big, tiny, big giant head with little tiny limbs, and the effect that they throw in there like looks like an iPhone filter. Mm-hmm. on the actor that's playing Modoc, and it's I, I don't think that that's intentional for it to look that terrible mm-hmm. personally yeah that's fair and 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 uh and yeah and then when, when you get to the supporting cast like like michael douglas is sleepwalking in this movie, <laughs> you know uh there's there's almost no wasp at all in the movie i mean i think there's like a hand like i, I wonder how many like actual lines of dialogue uh oh, evangeline lily movie. yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, she's barely in this. Yeah, I mean, the Michelle Pfeiffer has a much bigger part than Evangeline Lilly, and and that actually is again, like I said, it's it's an it's the most interesting part of the movie where you see how Michelle Pfeiffer is connected with Kang and in her relationship with the quantum realm. But again, like, it's like a ten minute detour in the movie, and then you're cut back to this story where again, like, it's just not really of consequence, you know, and. And the thing about it is that if Kang is such an important character here, and he clearly is as they're building towards him, like the one thing that Marvel hasn't done yet is they haven't really given a villain story long enough to breathe because they're either jamming an entire arc into a single movie and they never have enough time or give enough time for it, or you have like Thanos where you get like pieces of it in like a scene or two and like spread out amongst four movies and that doesn't have time to breathe either. Like, if you really want, like, I don't understand why this couldn't have been, like, a Kang TV show or Kang origin story and just include the Michelle Pfeiffer stuff in it and just don't even fuck with Ant-Man. I don't even, (laughs) it's just not a good enough story on its own to carry all of this. Well, that the Kang stuff feels like a giant retcon. It's like, and, and maybe, maybe I'm, you know, I don't. I don't. Obviously, don't have any any idea that this is true, but it feels like like these two things. Like it was two wheels that spin. It's like here's this is spinning. Like okay, it landed on. We need to introduce Kang, and this one landed on. What movie's next? And it's Ant Man. Mm-hmm. So like they have to shoehorn this Kang story into Ant Man. I have to figure out why, and it just doesn't fucking make any sense. Yeah, like it's because you have this quantum realm stuff. And sorry, I'm not I'm not cutting you off. Are you done or Well, well, it's well, it's interestingly to your point like the the main, the end credits scene seems to indicate that you could have actually made this movie in, <laughs> in with any superhero with any character and put it in at any time, too. Right. So, so to your point, yeah, it does feel like it's shoehorned because especially when at the end you're introducing some this kind of like concept here that shows like oh yeah this could have been literally anywhere and that's the thing that's that, that's again frustrating which is that yes they have an ant-man movie coming up yes they have an opportunity to put kang and introduce kang but this ant-man movie in and of itself like just it just doesn't work for me and it and it, and it loses you know I, I i have not been a fan of the first two ant-man movies and i think that the only time that they've gotten the character right has been in the avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, especially Endgame, where they just let Paul Rudd be Paul Rudd. Like, they let Uh him, like, crack wise. They let him, you know, just, you know, talk shit. They let him be funny. They let him be charismatic. And here, he's just, he's just a guy trying to rescue his daughter. And again, the, 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 you know, the, the, you know, he's split up for a lot of it. There's a period of time where, when they're focusing on Michelle Pfeiffer stuff, where Paul Rudd isn't on screen for like 15 minutes of screen time. Um, and uh, and it just feels like a waste of time. It just you know this is this is one of the few where uh, Marvel movies where I'm like this is a waste of time uh, mm-hmm. com- completely. So yeah, I mean I I agree on everything. And this movie it just makes me mad from a like a like a storytelling standpoint, like in and of itself too. Like forget the fact that Kang is shoehorned in. Forget the fact that we've already met him and been introduced to him in Loki. Um, like you said, it, this could have been any superhero movie that has Kang in it. And here we are with Ant-Man who's, <laughs> by the way, the entire gimmick of Ant-Man is like that. He shrinks small. You throw him in the quantum realm with like no basis for like 
scale or anything. Like, it just doesn't fucking make any sense. Yeah. Like, that's some of the, like, the movie harkens back to, like, one of the best jokes from the first film was the Thomas the Tank Engine, like, fight. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was cool because that actually was funny because it, like, it it made something, you know, um, kind of innocuous, terrifying because it was large. And now you've got just these blobs and goo and whatever the fuck is happening in the quantum realm. Like, oh, Ant-Man got big. Cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. But the worst thing about this movie to me is it's edited like shit. It's edited like it's trying to be saved. There's people standing around waiting while another scene finishes. And then the Michelle Pfeiffer Kang stuff is some of the worst uh characters not telling other characters information to drag out the reveal that i've seen in probably since something like cowboys and aliens <laughs> just garbage bullshit like just just fucking that or tomorrowland just wheel spinning horse shit yeah um and this movie's two hours long and by the hour mark i already didn't like it but by the hour mark i'm like where are we going with this fucking thing yeah um you know i i think jonathan majors is really good um, I think, though, that the Kang character is wildly inconsistent in the in that clip that we showed. And in most of the film, he's treated as this like omnipotent God. And then in the later in the film, he's getting into fist fights with Paul Rudd. Like, I don't understand what's happening in yeah. this film. Um, I mean, it's just. It's it's it is truly a, a, a complete waste of time. It also is interesting too that you're 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 introducing a character who is going to be like the big bad. You have a movie called Avengers: The Kang Dynasty. Like this guy's clearly going to factor in, and so so like, but you also know that this is the first movie in the phase, and it's an Ant Man movie star, uh, starring a, a an Avenger, a, a hero here. So like. How do you think that it's gonna end? <laughs> and then suddenly, like like we're gonna see that as like Kang's this like super unstoppable force who spoiler alert gets beat by Ant-Man like I mean like what right like what are we doing here like you know at least with Thanos he was this sort of like um he did have that omnipotent like menacing presence and then when you meet him in Infinity War he's like he's like a badass at that point and and well established it's like you're super fearful of him and i you know of course this is the first time that we're really getting to see him but also it just feels weird to like have him interact so uh so closely with a character when you know that his stuff is going to come up later as as sort of like the biggest villain that we've seen so far because he's got to eclipse thanos or else what what's the point right well the the idea was with Thanos, and I, I think you mentioned it, like he hovered in the background until mm-hmm. Infinity War. Right. And I think, is it, was it uh, Age of Ultron? Which is the one where he finally like says, like, I'm going to just do it myself, like that in credit stinger. I think it is Age of Ultron. And that's when you're finally like, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. And, um, then, and then Guardians was the first time we spent any significant time with him, I believe. There's no Thanos in Guardians. Then what am I thinking of? The one where they like they fully give him like a little bit of background story. Um. Oh shit. I don't know. I thought Loki was there. Maybe it is Guardians. I don't remember now that I'm thinking about it. I thought it was. Uh, Maybe it was Guardians, Guardians? too, because I thought Guardians one was totally disconnected from everything. I don't know. I we'd have to research this, but yeah. Um. I I get what you're saying though. Like there, there is a point where he does sort of start to drift in, but like this movie is the like Kang is the one of the main characters of this movie, and like you said, spoiler alert, he loses to Ant Man, and presumably dies. Um, but if you know the Kang story, and the movie kind of spells it out, there's just an infinite number of Kangs. So Thanos was in Guardians. That's the that's the one where he, okay he he they spent some time with him. Okay, yeah, yeah. What's the 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 Lee Pace character's name? That's Ronan right. the Accuser. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, um, but yeah, the, this is one of those things that that is just like we run across these turds in the Marvel MCU like every now and then. Um, like Phase Four was was not great, I think, for a lot of people. 
there's people that have stupid reasons for like because it focused on women characters a lot like that's just shut the fuck up yeah um there's plenty of of bad movies that don't have anything to do with it and i think there there's dull stuff in there like um black widow um was inconsequential and uh eternals is 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 the other worst movie on the list uh rotten tomatoes wise um, you have something really disappointing like uh, Thor Love and Thunder, which was um, a real tonal mess. Yeah. Um, uh, even something like for me personally, Black Black Panther Wakanda Forever felt like a lost movie, like it was searching for something. And that was understandably so. Um, this is one that's just like this is just a bad movie. Um, but you've got these 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 people that and we've talked about this before. Um you know, the, the don't trust critics people mm-hmm. that are so afraid these movies are going to go away if you stop praising them, um, that, that they'll accept this slop and it, it, it doesn't do anything positive for the, the things going forward. At least as, as, much as, um, as much as DC and Warner Brothers can be derided and as much as they're rabid fan base is in existence for the Snyderverse and other stuff. At least they have the good sense to see when shit doesn't work and to, to try something new. They haven't really hit on anything good yet. Um, but at least there's that, like we're going to, we're going to get more movies like this because we got them in phases two and three and whatever, you know, we had Thor, the dark world, we had Iron Man two, we had things that were just space fillers. We had guardians of the galaxy two that were just spinning their wheels there's going to be more garbage like this. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, from from a, a, a press conference or something with Kevin Feige this past week, the idea was to slow down on the output of this Marvel stuff. But, like, how many Marvel things have been released in the last year and a half? Well, I mean, there's, like, six TV series. Well, there were eight TV shows in Phase 4. Okay, so there was, there was uh, WandaVision... Shit, I don't remember. Captain uh, America, uh, Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, Loki, uh, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, What If. M- Moon Knight. Moon Knight. And then I feel like there was one more. Uh, Hawkeye? Oh, Hawkeye. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't finished all of them yet. Dude, I haven't, I haven't. The only ones I've seen are WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Those are the only ones I've seen in complete because I was like, this is too much shit mm-hmm. going on. It's it's the the market is being flooded right now with this stuff and and also like you know as for as good as wandavision started it really kind of whimpered out and falcon and winter soldier again kind of the same thing where it was fine and i'm like i don't i'm I'm not really i and i didn't even finish loki which i've heard is probably the best of them but you know yeah loki's at least the most interesting um like stuff like moon knight looked really cool but I don't know what it has to do with anything else. Um, I enjoyed Hawkeye. It feels a little um, a little disjointed because it crams a couple of characters in there that don't necessarily belong in there. Um, I yeah. haven't finished Ms. Marvel. I haven't even started She-Hulk. Yeah, and then there's, again, in Phase 5, there's another seven shows coming out. Uh, <laughs> there's Secret Invasion... Loki season two, what if season two, Ironheart, Echo, Agatha, Coven of Chaos, and Daredevil Born Again. <laughs> oh, that Daredevil is going to be like 20 episodes long, too. Yeah. Yeah. But- I mean, look, there is a glut of this stuff, and it's not all going to be good. And Marvel's kind of coasted by on, on, on delivering competent product for the most part. But man, the cracks are really like this is a big crack to me. Like Thor Love and Thunder was was like, okay, maybe they fucked up in giving Taika Watiti like doubling down on that silliness. Um Black Panther Wakanda Forever, again, I was not a fan of. I I get why that one was was an odd, you know, was the odd movie out. This one is just like, well shit, maybe they don't have anything working right now. Well, and I think it's 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 it has to be a direct result of like just kind of like striking gold with that first round of Avengers and Robert Downey Jr. and and, mm-hmm. and you know characters that people knew like Hulk and Spider and well and Spider Man later but Hulk and Captain America and uh, and Thor and now you're getting into like you know the 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 lesser known things like if you look at Phase Five next is Guardians Three which 
you know, Guardians 2 was not good. Uh, and, and it's coming off of that. Then you have the Marvels, which I have like no interest in, uh, <laughs> Captain American, uh, new world order, which again, you're losing the guys who made those Captain American movies so good. And who knows, you know, replacing that in a new series with no Chris Evans. And then you have Thunderbolts and Blade, like, eesh, man, I don't know. I don't know. We may be like, you know, we may be, you know, hitting a wall here. Well, and, and, you know, at what point is it like, like, a th uh, again, a third Ant-Man movie came up, like, again, the wheel spun and like, oh, it's time to do Ant-Man 3. Well, what are we going to do with it? Like, you're going to throw Kang the Conqueror in there as the main bad guy and it's going to introduce everything. I don't get it. I don't understand why, like, that's not, that feels not organic at all. Like, this movie is such a departure from the first two. And I'm not a big fan of the first Ant-Man movie. I thought the second one improved upon the first one this one is completely different like first of all there's no fucking michael pena which i think everybody you know like the comic relief is gone mm -hmm. like i love paul rudd i uh, i love him to death but like he he gets nothing to do in this movie he has funny stuff at the beginning and i think there's a funny like voiceover at the end in the middle it's just it's just nothing yeah um again uh michael douglas is sleepwalking through this um, you've got a Bill Murray cameo that like would have been exciting. This is it really is like a sub Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like they took Guardians of the Galaxy and threw it into this movie. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't feel like anything organic. It feels like leftover pieces from the shelf thrown together to make this movie. Um, yeah, just to satisfy the introduction of Kang. Yeah, and again, like e like even the Bill Murray cameo is like one scene, and it's like how how long are we going to continue to coast off of? Haha, it's Bill Murray. Like I mean, like right? How much is this going to keep happening? I don't know. I I don't know. I maybe I'm getting cynical about this stuff, but I but th this this was so uh, haphazardly haphazardly thrown together that I just it just does not feel like a complete thing and again i can't stress enough too 95% in the quantum realm and so it's just it's just an ex it's exhausting to look at too like it's just it's all cgi and it doesn't nonsense. look good no it really doesn't like it's it's really like it really like you you compare this to something like avatar the way of water which is clearly a high water mark for i mean <laughs> avatar the way of water eh, i get it is it's essentially an animated movie and you sent me the clip. Uh, there's like this special effects breakdown going around. I yeah. mean, it is fucking incredible what yeah. they've pulled off and the way they put this together. You look at this and it just looks like shit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not to mention the fe the editing and the, the, the storytelling delays that are in there. I mean, it's just it's just not a pleasant experience at the movies. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't. I don't think it means the death of this Marvel stuff, but you know, it it may be it may be time to look at some sort of countdown. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, or, or at least some sort of tapering off, because like you said, eight TV shows or whatever in the last two years, um, you know, four movies a year sometimes. I mean, it's it's a lot, and it's not necessarily. I mean, I, I again may say this: Man, Man made a hundred million dollars at the box office, but yeah, storytelling-wise, it's starting to get exhausting to the point of of not necessarily being satisfying. Yeah. Anyway, what's your grade for? Uh, or do, do you have anything else to add? Sorry, this is well. I, I was just going to say, and this is not an original thought. I read this somewhere, but I but I think it's 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 appropriate, which is that uh, it's getting to a point where it's starting to feel like homework. And yeah. And, and because there's so much like pre-existing knowledge that needs to happen, like you cannot jump into this movie having not seen everything else. I mean, why would you? But like, <laughs> you, you, even if you wanted to, you couldn't and not be completely lost. I mean, it's it, it it's it's starting to require the knowledge of everything that's built up before it. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they're just gonna have to clean break this and not make it all fit together because it's because now you're having to be like how many more of these fucking movies do i have to watch because you know that they're all going to be connected and so that you know the the idea that you're going to get an original story that's completely standalone uh the chances of that shrink when you start to connect everything well and i i think that that the the one of the biggest sins of these films has been the post-credit sequences that aren't necessarily 
like they they went from being little stingers, like little Easter eggs, to actual plot points. Yeah, and oftentimes somewhat more important than the most of the movie that just came before it. Yep. Uh, which I, I feel like that's the case for this one. Um, plus there's there's like the scene at the the very end. Uh, to spoil, it's fucking out there. Like you have to have seen Loki to even understand what the hell's going on. Right. Um, for one of them, um, it's just there's just so much. I look. I don't mind the interconnectedness. I think it's fun that these things connect, but that it's required viewing is a little difficult um, because mm-hmm. even comic books would be like, and I don't know how much of experience you've had with it. Like when they'll reference something that happened before, like they'll like put like a little citation like this happened in amazing spider-man 698 yeah you can't dip out and then come back in for, yeah with these movies yeah yeah so anyway what's your grade for uh ant-man and the wasp quantumania cody this thing is a big fat c uh i i can't go any higher than c and honestly that might be a little bit generous but um but i'm gonna give it a c you are so in the tank for marvel it's not even funny <laughs> uh-huh. no this is a c too uh, C for me is it's just it's not a good movie. It's 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 a chore to get through. Um, it's it's barely entertaining. Um, it's just it's a way to pass two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, let me say, I I grew up with this stuff. Like, I was in the trenches when this stuff was just in comic book shops, and you were a dork. Like, and everybody that's afraid that it's going to go back to that because people don't like Marvel movies, like, fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. there could be bad movies. It's such a weird, such a strange phenomenon, too. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to talk about that anymore because we talked no. about it a lot. But uh, that's it for reviews. Cody, you've got a uh, Blu-ray uh, to talk about or a 4K ultra high definition yeah. Uh, Blu-ray, Cody. Uh, the do. Fablemans. We've the mentioned Fablemans. the Fablemans a couple of times. Yeah, so I was uh, I was sent a review copy here of uh, the Fablemans in beautiful 4K and, um, and and had a chance to check out the disc. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking about this movie with people a lot lately as, you know, people are, you know, people ask me for my opinions on the Oscars and stuff. Oh, and so, and so, or top 10 stuff. And so, you know, uh, you know, the Fablements has been something that's been on my mind a lot, uh, recently. And, um, and I popped in the disc and was able to kind of, you know, watch a bit of the movie. And, you know, one of the things that I think is, um, you know, is, is really appreciated when you can watch in like such high quality on a big TV is that sort of like the, the idea that, um, you know, this is a very small scope Spielberg movie at the end of the day, but like just the way it's shot is so fantastic. And, you know, if you're a fan of Spielberg, you know that his his blocking is like, you know, some of the most incredible, like his shot composition stuff is like some of the best things that he knows how to do. And and so, uh, you know, being able to 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 see that at home on a on a really nice uh, TV was was pretty cool um, uh, and, and helps with um you know, bridging the gap between theatrical and home. Um, I was able to watch the features, which I actually, it's kind of light on features. It's got um, like a hand, like it's got a trio of short documentaries that ultimately are like maybe 45 minutes in total, but it actually gets into like each component of the movie. And I actually really enjoy listening to Steven Spielberg talk about his stuff, his, his movies and his work. Like there was that, did you ever see that HBO documentary Spielberg from a few years ago? No, I haven't watched it. I know what you're talking about. It's really good, and and this is kind of allows him to talk a little bit about the casting, about, um, about the you know the personal elements of the story. Uh, my my favorite parts were there was a section where, um, it showed they they did some ILM stuff. So do you remember the um, the tornado scene in the movie where Michelle Williams takes the kids and there's like a tornado and then there's yeah there's like yeah an explosion. like chase the tornado yeah yeah so that's all. Uh, ILM uh, lighting with like a car on a soundstage with like the Mandalorian style. Um, oh, the the uh, volume. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever they whatever they call it. They call it some. I think they call it the volume, or maybe they call it something else. Yeah, I, I don't remember the technical term for it at the at the moment. But uh, but they but th- so they go behind the scenes on that, and it's like Spielberg using that for the first time, and and then you get a little bit of uh, stuff. Uh, my other favorite thing was like seeing. That a lot of like the um, the actual like I guess eight millimeter 
footage or whatever that they're using that Sammy is shooting throughout the movie. Like Spielberg shot a lot of that stuff himself. Like the um, like shooting the western thing. Like Spielberg kind of himself was holding the camera during that recreation, um, which uh, hmm. which was which is pretty cool to see him kind of talk about that and talk about like he like he struggled to kind of not make it look too good because he's he said he's you know learned so much about filmmaking over the years that you know he found more interesting places to put the camera or whatever but he was trying to recreate his old stuff as much as possible and and so you just really get a sense of like how much of this stuff was truly autobiographical um as he was talking about it so i would definitely recommend um picking it up if you i mean it looks amazing in 4k um the the cinematography is is so so good um and if you were a fan of the movie i think you'll really enjoy the documentaries especially if you like listening to spielberg talk about his own stuff so I, I am curious. It's called Stagecraft, by the way, is the brand name for this, okay. this thing. Um, this was the first time he used it? I believe so. I guess so. That would make sense. I guess there wasn't really a thing that they called for it. That's, a, that, oh, I, unless... that's, that's interesting enough for me to see, like, you know, a veteran filmmaker like that use something. I mean, that, the, that effect is amazing to me. Yeah. Well, um, I think the only th- other thing correctly. He, he could have used it on would be West Side Story. Cause I think... Yeah, because it's not that new. Yeah, because I mean, like you look at, I'm looking up the, you know, the website for, um, for this, and like the one of the most kind of, um, it's ILM Stagecraft. Uh, one of the kind of most more mundane things is the, um, like the city scenes, like the, the, uh, when they're standing on the skyscraper in the Batman. That's kind of the most mundane thing mm-hmm. that's actually used the volume. But then there's. Um, volume work or the stagecraft in um uh the midnight sky with george clooney uh used that same effect so i'm i'm kind of fascinated that this movie that isn't special effects heavy used something like that mm-hmm. i yeah. guess when you're spielberg you can but yeah and, and maybe it wasn't the first time but they were they they framed it that way because they talked about like like um what's his name whatever kaminsky is cinematographer talked about like like he thought he's like he's like it's a great practical tool, but I prefer being like outside and, and like being. In oh, Giannis Kaminsky. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, which he was like one of the guys greatest. like seventy years old, like yeah, seventy year old cinematographer. But yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it was cool seeing him in that element, talking about the casting, you know, uh, talking about um, you know uh, the, the editing and and like you get you get a little bit of like how Judd Hirsch became involved and like them talking about it's funny to hear the people in the in the like who made the movie talk about like how great that scene is like as a standalone thing um it's just kind of it, it, i don't know i just found it fascinating to hear it be talked about in that way so yeah i would definitely pick it up if you have the chance and it's a good one for the collection so this one uh it just hit disc and uh, it didn't didn't it go to digital uh streaming fairly quickly after release i don't it, remember i think it was like 21 or 28 days something like that it was there pretty quickly it's crazy how how this stuff is i I have no idea like i would never have thought that you could stream it before you could buy it um yeah i mean it's crazy man and and like it just it's it's a bummer that this movie didn't pick up steam because it's i mean it's not only is it spielberg's best movie in like 20 years but but man it just really did not make any money at all i mean it, it didn't even make its budget back well, we we talked about the idea that that these things are have kind of like these mid budget things have just gone away completely. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's nice that it exists in a form where you can buy it, but like, who did anybody make money off of it? I mean, I assume no one studio wise. So yeah, but apparently, uh, uh, it when it came out on VOD, it did pretty well. So good good for it. Yeah, good for Spielberg, that up yeah. and comer. <laughs> <laughs> that kid finally caught a break. Yeah. He created the blockbuster uh, industry and then was a victim of it. Yeah, and then nobody wants to see his uh, his movie about being a, a teenager with his parents divorcing. I mean, it is the... Uh, oh, by the way, that reminds me. Did you see the, the film discourse Twitter going around the other day where somebody uh, thought that the shadow of that, that uh, Paul Dano was casting in one scene was, was supposed to be... Um, uh, shit i can't remember her name mitzi i can't remember mm-hmm. the actress michelle, michelle williams, williams. Mm-hmm. like what i don't even know what this person is talking about it was like the shape of the shape of her hair and his the, in his head but it was her it was his shadow right like it was they were wrong right like i'm not crazy i don't I haven't know. watched the movie since i since that's it a was very it, 
it's a very deliberate and strange shot that that shot um because it's it's like it's like from the neck up and it's like the like kind of like the uh the upper part of the mm-hmm. uh of the wall yeah uh, almost at the ceiling it's the composition is is such that i think the shadow is supposed to represent something uh so i don't know maybe okay well i, I haven't seen the movie since it was released and i it don't looks even... it, it looks more like um it, more, it looks more like Tom Servo, actually, when you look at the reflection or the shadow shape. Uh, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, Cody, um, a couple of things. Uh-huh. Uh, Creed 3. Well, that's actually one. not out that for a while. That's oh, really? First Son week of, of March. Yeah. Oh, well, I watched Creed 2 already because of, neither of us had seen it. So we you yeah. caught up with Creed 2. Yeah, well, in my, in my screen, I'm about to go to my screening of Creed 3, but that's out on March 3rd. Oh, um, but, well, shit. But what we do have is Cocaine Bear. That's it. This week. That's it. Yes. The uh, One of the last film roles for uh, Ray Liotta, by mm-hmm. the way. I don't yeah. know if it's the last. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else? Is that it? Cocaine Bear? Just basically that. There's a, there's a movie called Jesus Revolution, but I think we might skip that one. Hmm. I don't take his name in vain, Cody. So I mean, I'm reading. It's a. I'm reading the uh, movie title, so it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, all right. If you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook cinesnobnet, um, youtube.com slash cinesnob. Um, you can. Oh, uh, it's an Irwin Brothers movie. I don't know who they are. Oh, you don't know the Irwin Brothers? Or, or, or actually, I guess it's not an Irwin Brothers. It's just John Irwin. He he made a. Uh, I still believe, and I can only imagine. And oh, those October guys. baby. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. So it is. So it's it's not a. Uh, it's not something using Jesus's name ironically. It's using no, no, no. It's uh, it's from the guy who brought you October baby. I didn't see October baby. I didn't. I think I Ooh. saw one of those. He also did Whatever the Kurt Warner American Underdog movie, which I didn't see, but is apparently heavily leaning that way into the. I- I didn't see that either. Um, th- th- it was a big. Um, my the company I work for is based in St. Louis, so mm-hmm. it was a big like St. Louis thing. And I remember somebody at some point dropped off a bunch of little stress footballs at the office for uh, American Underdog. Mm-hmm. Like here's this movie about this quarterback who is was played for a team that's no longer here. Mm-hmm. Have fun, yeah, St. Louis. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Anything else before we go, Cody? No, that's it. All right. On that note, I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.